April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory with desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Winter kept us warm. Good morning. Oh, it's you. Hey, how's it going? Hi. Hi. How's everything going up there, out there? Mm, everything's going uh, extremely well. Oh, must be nice. Wake up, living yeah. in San Francisco, walking around in town, meeting people. Hey, Ev, how you doing? It's nice. Can I take your boat out again? Whatever. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Cool. You want to start? Yeah, let's let's start it up. Fire All it right. up. All right. How's it going, Dan? Hey, what's up, bud? Oh, nothing. Just uh, just hanging out, having uh, having a morning, having a late morning. Yeah. Yeah. Do and, you drink uh, coffee so- in the morning? Do I drink coffee in the morning? Yes, I do. I have uh, a modest amount of coffee in the morning. Not like I used to. I used to. Uh, I used to be like uh, like uh, like Hawkeye. I would just like grab the pot and mm-hmm. just guzzle it. And I don't do that anymore. Are I used you, to drink close to two pots of coffee a day. Are you serious? Yeah, I, I said so, so this probably a long time ago. I used to get into work kind of early, and uh, people, you know, there's, you have those single, not single serving. What do you call it? You know, they got those little packages. Packets. Of, of yeah, and you like you pour that in, and you make a gentlemanly amount of coffee, <laughs> and that's what the, every <laughs> like instant coffee. No, 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 no. Like when you're oh, working in, in right, an office, it's, so it's like a coffee filter, but it's a pouch that no, has no, it pre measured. But like you work, you work in an office, you get the coffee machine, and they get the thing delivered. It's a big box full of these shiny packs. You tear open the pack, and All it puts right. in the precise amount, the scientifically correct amount of coffee for that coffee maker. And then you make it. Now, everybody in the office thinks of that as the coffee. That's the correct way to make the coffee. So what I would do is, because I'm weird, is yeah. I would come in really early, and I would put two of those in, um, in the basket. And, and me and the other guy who got there early liked it that way. And so I drink that. And then right before all the uh, plebes came in, I'd make them their, uh, <laughs> make them their lady coffee. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I would drink a lot of coffee. Yeah, I, I've I've favored stimulants uh, historically. Yeah, now some people they like they like going the other way, but that's what I would do. So in the morning I have um, uh, usually two cups of coffee. I've been having a little more lately, but uh, yeah, I don't have too much and I can't have it too late because you know you get older and then you're up all night. No, I, I, I definitely run into that same situation where I have a cutoff time where I can't. I know that I was going to ask what's your cutoff. You know, I've experimented with different times. The safe cutoff is twelve, but if it's sad, it is sad. so sad. It's so sad. But I can still have caffeine, but it has to be like in tea or iced tea or something like that. But if if I really want to play roulette, maybe mm-hmm. maybe one thirty. But that's just, and then it kind of depends on what it is. Like it, it definitely not going to be straight coffee at that point. Maybe a latte with one shot in it. Like I mess around, see what I can do. But really, I, I I have to shut off like twelve. That's so sad. I'm glad you went first because I was about to try and uh, whip out my half inch and say oh, it was three o'clock. But if I have coffee at three, I, I might be sitting there with my mind racing at one in the morning. So yeah, I'm the same. And it's, it's almost exactly the same with me. Where I uh, really like just because of my business, my business papers. Business, I, yeah. I usually <laughs> I stop around eleven or eleven or twelve at the very latest. Usually. 
That's unusual. I just made one a little bit ago, but that'll be my last one of the day, probably. But yeah, um, Trader Joe's um, Jasmine Green Tea is my go-to. Oh, yeah. And that's perfect. We don't have that yet. We're getting two Trader Joe's, I think, in the next year, uh, what? which I'm very excited about. Yeah, that's we don't so have That's so weird, yet. but didn't, isn't Whole Foods based there? Yeah, Whole Foods is headquartered here, and I think the biggest, world's biggest Whole Foods is like 10 minutes from here, 15 minutes as the crow flies. Oh God, it must, they must, their capacity for annoyed people in fleece must be huge. We tolerate all kinds here. Excuse me. Is this, is this radish locally sourced? (laughs) Could I see some papers on this please? Well, the reason I asked this is, is I found now that the, and I was tweeting about this earlier, the first cup of coffee, I don't, I don't really, it's not so much that I'm having the first cup of coffee. It's that the first cup of coffee gets me to a point where I'm conscious and then the second cup of coffee is like what the first cup of coffee used to be. I can kind of enjoy it. I can I saw, take I my saw time your toot with it. about this. Yeah. I saw your toot and I, and I laughed to myself because I know exactly what you mean. I started drinking coffee in earnest in college. Yeah. And at first uh, I would, I think I've mentioned this before, but I had this freelance job coming into this real estate office uh, after hours and I would lay out their, um, you know, their weekly circular thing, this like 16 page thing in PageMaker. And, uh, and I saw, Ooh, they have coffee here. I should try that. And so I would pour in an entire thing of like Swiss Miss cocoa and then put coffee on top of that. And so it was (laughs) was like a little Barney's in my mouth. And, and, uh, but, but that's what got me started. And then my, my, uh, French professor, my French lit professor got me really into coffee and he would say, it helps get your engine started. And I never really understood that phrase until I discovered coffee. Mm-hmm. And th- then I really understood that. Yeah, that's how I feel. So you need one. One is like the little, uh, the mini tramp. If you, if you pardon my friend. Yeah. Excuse that's what me. gets started. And it catapults you into the, the second, the first one is the activator. Yeah. And the second one has the, uh, the full uh, delivery dose. No, that's exactly right. And it's the best way to do it because the first one is sort of, it's, before that, I, there's not really, I'm not really fully conscious. I can be moving and doing things, but it doesn't actually mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. You're um, maybe not a zombie, but you don't feel like you're present. Yeah. And I don't, I don't care about anything. Mm-hmm. Kids can be bleeding and it won't, it won't phase me. So in a way it's good. I just don't yeah. care. Like I don't care. Like you could, anything could happen, good or bad. I just don't care about it. Once again, totally agree. I, I don't care about anything in the morning. Yeah. I, I don't. I mean, the place could be on fire yeah. and I would just be like five more minutes. Like I'm, if I'm going to die, right. let, me, let me die with five more minutes of sleep. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm the same way. But, um, but that's the know, difference I noticed like in the past when I talked to other people about it, you know, people who are maybe in their teens or 20s, they're new to coffee. They, they're, oh, I like that first cup of coffee. I'm like, there is no first cup of coffee. It doesn't even register. That is very zen. Yeah. It's like, like a, zen, a zen chocolate experience. <laughs> I can't drink I, flavored coffees, though. Oh, they make me mad. Yeah. You know, even some, uh, I, I generally favor like French roast coffee and everything else just seems like a joke to me. But, but this is true for everything for me. And I, I don't want to get too anatomical here. But I'm just going to tell you, like I could, I could wake up from an eight o'clock nap in college. I could have a pot of coffee, a plate of Thai food and a raw onion. I'd be fine. No problem. And today that would put me out for a month. Oh my God. Yeah. A raw onion. Raw, literally. My God. No. And now there's a little bit of onion on my pizza and I'm reading for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm proud of that? 
I'm not proud of that. Oh boy. Oh my God. Are there onions on this? <laughs> you know, the problem with corn is cell walls. Cell walls. Yeah. So, good week. Yeah, big week. That's <laughs> in a huge week. What yeah. is this? It's, uh, it's uh, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love being back on the regular schedule uh, again. I got to tell you the truth. I feel the same way. I feel, we talked about this last week, but I feel so easily discombobulated in life. And it's funny because, like, first of all, like the nature of my quote unquote unquote job is that there are certain days of the week that are very meaningful and many that are not. And you know that how they have holidays? I'm familiar with those. Okay, you know how we had a holiday not too long ago? Yeah, that's uh, the 4th of July. I'm becoming less of a fan as well. That totally screwed me up. This this past Friday has never felt more like a Monday in my life. And Thursday felt felt like incredibly like felt like a, like a, I think like a Saturday. Yeah. It's totally disorienting. We went to uh, this really cool kids. uh, You might have seen that incredibly disturbing photo I put up of my family wearing masks. Uh, What was that? Yeah, well, it's this really awesome place called the Exploratorium, which is we actually bought a season pass because it's so fun, and it's all hands-on science stuff. You should you could take cash there. You just you just run around and touch things. It's nice. really fun. Oh yeah, it's my favorite. My my problem is my daughter's had a wiggly tooth. Oh, she's got lots of tooth. That's right. I wanted to bring this up. She's. Thank you have you. a photo yes. of her wearing a Captain America uh, situation. Yes. She's got a Captain America Jamie situation, and she's holding the tooth in her hand. And at first, I thought it was some kind of like she had found one of your pills. Uh-huh. But it turns out... She always turns those in. <laughs> That's good. And my, but then my wife points it out. She puts it somewhere I can see and say, you know, uh, Eleanor found this. Yeah. The good, keep her calm. Yeah. It looked like half a piece of shoe peg corn. I thought it was going to be bigger. It looked bigger in her face. Which two? Oh, okay. So it's the bottom, her bottom, bottom left tooth? Front. Left. Yeah, one of the, yeah, exactly. But, you know, here's the thing. And this, is, this is where you're going to love this. So you're a kid. She goes to the dentist. And at the dentist, the dentist says, you know, you got a tooth that's uh, wiggly. And she immediately is like, oh, my God, I forgot my first weekly tooth. She's a little late on, on, on now Cash. Has Cash lost teeth yet? No. And this is when I saw that you were talking about the wiggly tooth because you sent us a, a personal video about it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was like, well, he has none of his teeth are wiggling. She none has of- friends who've lost five teeth. Oh, my God. She's, she's, uh, They're she's eating too, now, much, she's- uh, too much candy or something. Yeah, well, Rocks she's still, you know, out. knock on dander, she's still got no cavities. But she went to the dentist. The dentist said, hey, you got this. she was so excited. And then in less than a week, it came out, which I seems short to me. But so, so here's the thing. We've been going downtown a lot, hanging out, holiday stuff, blah, blah. And so what do you do? You go on Muni. You go to a hands-on, think about this for a minute, okay. a kid's hands-on science museum. Ugh. And the entire time, her hand is in her mouth, wiggling her tooth. Do you remember having a loose oh, tooth? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's, she's sitting there on Muni. One minute, she's holding the railing. The next minute, her hand's in her mouth. And I had to remind her of man's assumption, which I don't like to do because yeah. I don't want to scare her, but she needs to be aware of that. So I can't believe that she's, she's still alive. And then, of course, you get the uh, get your socket. You don't get the dry socket. You can't you get, get so- that with a baby tooth. Do you ever have a dry socket? No, but I know that comes with when you get your wisdom teeth out. Isn't that a horrible, horrible term? Dry socket. It makes me think of skull something. Yes, uh, skull like red, red skull socket. Right. I, I had uh, speaking of red days, skull. I met Greg Pock. No way. Yeah, I got him to sign. We, some I read stuff my too. daughter. I read my daughter uh, Planet Hulk, and then we watched it on the uh, TV. Yeah, I got him to sign Planet Hulk trade paperback for me. That's so cool. I heard him on uh, Moises's show. He sounds really nice. He's super cool, laid back. He's uh, like he's not. I don't know what I imagined. 
him to be like, but he's just the coolest, most laid back dude ever. I imagine him looking, um, I don't know, almost like uh, maybe like an Asian American version of Vision. I imagine him being very tall and having a cape. Does he have a cape? Mm, no cape. Okay, uh, no cape. And I'm not, I'm, so he's, he's, he is tall. He has a full beard. What? Full beard, a shaggy hmm. hair. He looks, and he looks too good looking to be a comic book writer. Yeah, I think they check you at the door for that stuff. You know, usually. at your typical when you, when I think of a comic book writer, I think of comic book guy from The Simpsons as as a good looking right. version of a comic book author. I think if you need a shortcut heuristic, I think most of them are uh, homunculi, They're like little heavy guys with no hair. A lot of them, right? And uh, real thin bones, ironically enough. Yeah. But this guy, wow! You know, I love. Uh, the, I was telling you how I enjoy the. He World could War be uh, Jonathan Colton's. Like half brother, his life model decoy. His yeah. Oh, like a Loki situation. Yeah, okay. like that. Okay. But they they would maybe the the same dad. Wow, that as far is as physical really, appearance, that, that's, that's super complicated. Now wait a minute, Greg Pak. Wait a minute, hold the phone, Tex. Isn't Greg Pak the fellow who's working with Jonathan Colton on a comic? I thought they are, yeah, and that's because wow. they're half brothers. Half brothers. Mm -hmm. Huh. I want to talk about the uh, the Thor movie, the new one or the old one. The old one. Okay, we can do that. I finally know. I just wanted to say I finally saw it. I thought it was fantastic. That was a good movie. It's an entertaining it on flick. movie. I thought it was, it humanized Thor. I, I don't hate him nearly as much now. Yeah. But man, that Loki boy. How about that Lady Sif, huh? Lady Sif is, is nice. The brunette, right? Yes. Yeah, she's pretty good. And then and he shows up and he's like dating Natalie Portman. She um, ruins everything she's in. I like her forehead vein. Ugh. I also watched Black Swan last week. Okay, uh -oh. that's a whole different. I not there that's got are, some special moments. There in are it. reasons I like parts of that movie a lot. Yes, well, it's the, very theatrical mm -hmm. and uh, cinematic. I like the dancing. Oh gosh, the dancing and the costumes. Mm -hmm. Did you enjoy the makeup? I like the makeup. I like the dancing, and oh, I the like music, the music was beautiful. Mm -hmm. It really was beautiful. I mean, she can ha she has a hell of a hallucination. <laughs> But well, that'll serve me well. Let's see. Yeah. Now that's the voice of um, of uh, of uh, Luann plays that girl. Is that girl right? I think you're thinking of Carol Ann. Mila Kunish isn't she the one that was? Uh, isn't she Luann on King of the Hill? The, they the, they're here. That one. No, no, no. I, I think you're thinking of uh, Close Encounters. Okay. Where the kid know, goes through know, the doggy door. I don't know which kind. What was oh, the no, name of that actress else? who played the mom and she's holding on to the kid's legs and he's getting sucked away? Toby Hooper. Is that what I'm thinking of? Is Hooper the one with uh, Burt Reynolds? What am I thinking of? Oh, Hal, uh, Smokey and the Hal Bandit, Linden? you mean? Hal, Hal Gingham? What's his name? The guy who does all the stunts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Barney Miller. Is that what I'm thinking of? No, uh, Abe, Abe, uh, Pagoda. Abe Pagoda. Yeah, yeah. just well, for old time's sake, he mm -hmm. says to, uh, to Tom. Mm, Mr. Waltz. Well, I covered a lot of ground there. Let me cross those guys off. That was a, that was a pretty good movie. But you know, the Thor movie, yes. I, I like that she you. draw... She, the, the way that she drew the hammer... It's really, I mean, she's coming quite far. I wish Cash could do. Oh, wait, you know what? I took Cash to see. Oh, he's talking first. about my uh, my kid. Yeah, I, I yeah. took Cash to see his first movie <gasps> in the theater. In the not his first movie, but in the the theater, the first Spickable, theater. Despicable Me Too. Yep. How how'd it go? Was it's loud? It's pretty loud. No, it's not loud. It was. I mean, I guess it was loud. That's that is for what uh, of all of the issues that our kids both have <laughs> and and share in common, the, the volume is not one of them anymore. Okay. Unless That's it's good. an unexpected noise in the real world 
that's a problem. But in the movie theater, it can't be loud enough. But there, the seats rocked too much, and he, we had to move then to the front, to the aisle that's right behind where the handicapped uh, aisle is, where that has like the space for the for people who are using wheelchairs or whatever. You're, I think what you're, what you're looking for is cinephile enabled. Okay. And you, so behind that, there's the like railing and then there's a seat. So we sat where the railing was in front of us so that he could stand up and dance as much as he wanted to the musical numbers. <laughs> but at nine, at nine thirty AM on a Sunday, it's just <clears throat> you and the other parents and their kids. There's nothing to worry about. That's so cool. Um, well, you know, one thing that is really just poor planning, poor design, as uh, Jeffrey Zeldman would say, is that <laughs> they, put the seats, they put the seats just far enough apart that a four or five-year-old could put their feet on the seat in front of them and be exactly comfortable. Yeah. And then rock. Yeah. The whole time. And so you guys went and he danced. He would dance. Now, I, I love Despicable Me. I think that first movie, I haven't seen the second one. The first movie is tremendous. I love that movie. It's a great movie. Second one's, I don't know, you know, it's tough to be as good. It's not like a toy story where they just continuously, I think it better, but yeah. it was, uh, it was, it was a very good movie. Kids loved it. All the kids in there loved it. And uh, I enjoyed it. Oh, I, I got to see that. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, we're taking a break from going to the movies because it gets real costly for leaving in 20 minutes. It, <laughs> Is know, that what happens? Because it gets Man, too loud? Iron Man 3 in super duper 3D IMAX was too much. We told, we talked about this was too much for, for me even. Now, now there's a thing that they do. I remember hearing about this when, when uh, our daughter was really young. They have like a, I don't know, they have some, uh, condescending name for it it's like you know mommy's movie day or something but the idea is you can come in they have special movie times where you can come in with your shrieking infant yeah and nobody will complain oh. it's all it's all parents with shrieking infants right which kind of sounds like fun you know i don't understand why parents will bring a kid that's clearly unable to move or speak to a movie for kids like, I understand why parents might say, well, we have to bring our kid because we couldn't get a sitter and we really want to see this movie and, and the kid's going to behave, so it's all right. But, like, when they'll bring, like, a nine-month-old to Thor. What? For the kid. That's a but the kid doesn't understand it. No, 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 no. That's a, that's a terrible scarring thing. Yeah. Now, if back in the days of the drive-in, sure. You come in, you, you move your uh, station wagon in backwards, mm -hmm. you know, have some Cracker Jack, you're good mm -hmm. to go. Well, those were, you remember how dirty those bathrooms were? Never used that. At the at the drive-in, mm -mm. I don't think they maintain those well, and they're always right next to the uh, snack oh, stand. Oh, I'm so glad I remembered this, Merlin. Yeah. <sighs> I saw, saw, I saw there, something. Was there, on, was there an incident? I saw something on Saturday at Twenty Four Diner that I wanted to tell you about. That really has it rattled me, and has kept me in a. I've been in a state ever since I saw this. So sorry, tell me. Okay. Now, 24 Diner is a great restaurant here in Austin. If you're coming to Austin and you're going to be in downtown and you would like to eat a great meal, whether it's a breakfast meal, could be a lunch, could be a dinner. They do it all and they're great. And it's, it's not quite like a farm to table kind of place, but it's in that base, you know, like they care about the ingredients. and Like and, fancy, fancy, well-made comfort food. Kind yeah, of thing? exactly. And... It's a great place. I went there with uh, with Jean Grey when she was in town. Nice. And so, I mean, we'll we'll go there. And mm -hmm. it's a great, okay. But then the bathroom, as you could expect from a place that's a 24-hour place, the bathroom, it's not, it, the, it's not in the upper echelon of cleanliness. 
if that makes sense. No, it makes all too much sense. And, and, but it's not, it's for what I need, it's usable. There's a sink, there's paper towels that dispense properly. There's soap and it's always full. This is good enough for me. And it's a small bathroom and it's the kind of bathroom when the door opens, if you happen to be at the urinal, you're in public view of anyone who might be walking into the uh, restaurant. Not, you're not in public view of the whole restaurant, but if the door swings wide, yeah. you're, they're walking up toward the back of you, which I don't like, but it's fine. Now, in the stall, which is only right next to that thing, the floors and I don't feel like the floors ever get cleaned. I'm not sure mm. anything gets cleaned, but the floors certainly don't get cleaned. And when I walked in, and this is at, it's Saturday afternoon. I would say it's about one o'clock, one thirty. There is a man with his, in, in the stall, the door of the stall is open. And as I, I, I enter and immediately I'm greeted by the sound of a child's voice, which is, does not disarm me like it used to. Like I remember going as, as a pre-father going into a bathroom and there'd be a, a dad in there with his, Two and say, a half, say three, five-year-old girl, yeah, three or four-year-old girl. <laughs> yeah. And the girl's wandering around looking at things and try the dad, come back over here. They come can back speak over in, here. when they can speak and make observations. It yes. can be very unnerving. And that used to really rattle me. Now it's, I don't even notice the, the child unless they're in between me and, you know, the urinal. And <laughs> so there's, I go and I hear a child's voice and I look, you don't want to look at anything, but I look down. And the father is changing. Let me just. <clears throat> the Wait father is changing oh, the child <gasps> on the floor. <laughs> oh no! Of the stall by the crapper. Not on the koala care. There was no koala care. Oh! <laughs> was there? Was there a tarpaulin? No, there was nothing. It was just on, and the diaper is on the ground. <laughs> the new diaper is on the ground, and these like change- double double cross contamination. Oh my God, and I just oh, and God. I and I got out of there as fast as I could. And did uh, you call anybody? N- no, and I went back to the table. So at the table, this is we were at this uh, RTX event. This is the Rooster Teeth event here in Austin. So I come back out. And at the, the table there, Moises is there, Joel Bush is there, Hattie's there. We're all four having lunch on our way to go to the RTX thing. And I sit down and they're like, what's wrong? It looks like you've seen a ghost. You look pale. It's like when Howard comes back to the table, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to tell you guys what I just saw. And it, it, it really, this really rattled me. And I was thinking to myself, you know, and so I told them about it and I forget who said they're like, well, you know, didn't they use the koala guy? I said, there was no koala thing. And I'm like, it wouldn't, why wouldn't you just go out to your car? Like I've changed my kid in the, I've opened up the tr- trunk and changed him in the trunk. Like, you know, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. You just move, move the tire aside and, yeah. uh, and the Trader Joe's bags. And <laughs> no, the thing is, Dan, let's be honest. There's times where you have to be creative about these things. That's not creative. Putting your child on the bathroom on floor the is floor, not creative. On the floor. On the floor. Do you How know do what you happens? come back from this? Do you know, can I say one word? Gravity. Mm. Do you understand what gravity does? Gravity makes everything that happens above it go down. Everything that happened in that <sighs> stall is on that oh. ground. And that diaper. Oh, my goodness. 
No, I, but you know, maybe that kid, you know, maybe now obviously that kid's going to have a lot of problems unless there's some kind of, uh, maybe they're getting some uh, super immunity uh, genes from stuff like know. that. You know what I mean? Like how, how those books about how your kid should eat poop and stuff to make them strong, mm. you know, uh, play on, uh, play on hard playgrounds and stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause every kid's wimp now, supposedly turns out mm-hmm. maybe it's that kind of thing. Maybe they're trying to, you know, make a super soldier. <laughs> I don't think that's where you start. No. You know, you can be creative. It's you not could, the correct you do serum. The, you know what? You could <laughs> look at Red Skull. Am I right? I know. Look at that guy. Yeah. God, complexion. Oh. Um, now, 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 okay. Pop quiz, hotshot. You're in that situation. You got, you got, a, you got a poopy kid. Let's yeah. say you got, you got child one. You got cat. You got a little cash. Yeah. You got a little cash in there. Yeah. Well, that's not even going there. You're at uh, Diner 35 and you need to change a poopy diaper. Yeah. First of all, you're probably going to hand that to your wife, I'm guessing. Duh. Okay, um, let me add uh, another. Uh, she has been hospitalized because you don't help enough. Okay. God forbid. Okay. Now you've got a poopy kid, and you need to change that situation. Let's say, let's say you've had maybe an explosive situation. There's no going back. No, point of no return. Crossing right. the river, stick still in Charybdis. <laughs> you, Her- Herodotus, and now you've got to do something about that. Yeah. What's Dan Benjamin do in a situation? Do you go to the bathroom? Do you go to the trunk? Well, if there's, if there's, I would go to the koala care first. What is a koala care for people who don't know what this thing is? I don't know if that's the exact name, but, but I, I, I knew exactly what you meant. So I'm it just using It makes me smile sweetly. Uh, my, my daughter and I both smile sweetly when we see it. You go in and it's this uh, plastic thing mm-hmm. on the wall that most of you with, without kids, you have wondered what it is. Is it a snack machine? Is it condoms? <laughs> is it an ironing board? Right. What is that? It's an ironing it's, board. It's a filthy, filthy plastic thing that flips down so you can change your kid's uh, nappy right. uh, in a bathroom. <clears throat> Will you ever try and change a diaper on a plane? No. <laughs> that's pretty fun. Oh God. Oh my Lord. Um, I'm really, I'm really glad that part's over. Um, basically you flip this thing down. It's really gross. You, you cover it with paper towels. You put your, put your, uh, your progeny on there. You change their business and you throw out the diaper like a gentleman. Uh, now some, now that's increasingly in places. It used to only be in the ladies. Mm-hmm. And now you will see that in most places, places that have a family bathroom. Thank you. Yes. You know what I mean? You can move around a little bit. You can change clothes if you needed to. <laughs> right. Yeah. The little spritz bath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more like a, a Japanese bathing experience. You know, it's all, we're all in this together, Sauna. like they say in Brazil. Exactly. Very warm. So anyway, you go in, you flip that down. Now, in a lot of places, you can't do that. But as a, as a parent, sorry, you get creative about these things, and you know you've, you've got to change it. In that case, I don't know. I think I might have done the trunk. N- another thing, Dan, maybe somebody could, they could carry a card table with them. When you, when you go to a restaurant, you know there's not going to be a koala care. You bring along a... Uh, like a uh, small card table with a tablecloth that right. you could throw away. And, and the card table, probably. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not a child expert. I'm not T-Berry Brazelton. T-Bone Burnett. <laughs> yeah. T-Bone Pickens. Yes. Hmm. Um, oh, Dan, I, I'm so sorry. I don't want to trivialize this. That's really scarring. Well, I mean, you see that and then you think, so what you're asking what I would do, if I went in there and there's no koala care and we got to do something, uh, if, if the car's outside, I'd go to the car. Yeah. Now, do you have to throw the car away when you're done? No. Okay. No, because it's not, it's usually pretty straightforward of a process. Mm-hmm. But the idea of taking what is mostly a clean kid and putting them on that surface, that seems like the, I would go outside and if I had, I would change them on the sidewalk if I had to before I would put it on that. With the sidewalk, you know what you're getting into. Yeah. Yeah. The, the sidewalk is not a it's not by that definition. Dirty receptacle for everything that happens in a bathroom yeah. except in san francisco let's be honest Ugh. but oh dan i'm so sorry anyway, you know my daughter has, share with uh, you. thank you no thank you that's for ruining what's left of my day my daughter has something like spidey sense for bathrooms 
I, before I can even detect what's going on, she takes in so much information about the uh, imminent dangers that she'll just, you can't see what I'm doing, but imagine I'm shaking my head really quick and just a little bit like this. <laughs> and we're out of there. I could see and, that. And for some reason, people in our neighborhood, I don't want to be ping pong, they like to ruin a bathroom. And uh, I told you about this. I, I got this one guy at the library. I, I got him nabbed because every time he would go in, he would take all of the toilet covers and all of the, to- of the toilet paper, shove it into the toilet and back it up. I watched him do it twice. Mm. And I get, where's your kid going to poop now? Yeah. Insensitive. <sighs> People, you know, why, why would you ruin a bathroom? They're so good to us. And they have so many problems to begin with. <sighs> anyway, uh, I, uh, I feel like we should start over. That's just, that's no, just let's hor- start over. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, you just got to think about things that touch things, touch other things. Mm-hmm. You don't, don't even put your toothbrush on the sink. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be tightly wound about this, but I think, I think people need to think these things through and I don't think they think them through. Then they went out and ate. Oh, hi, here's your burger. Yeah. Locally sourced. Would you like me to put some <laughs> pee on that? <laughs> Would you like that little, little, little pee dip on the side? Mm. Call it the French dip. Oh. <clears throat> Yeah, a jus, not to work ping pong. Mazeltov. Um, so good week, big week. <sighs> I got some, uh, I got some fake follow up. If that helps at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what? I want to mention one thing in passing. I have not listened to the full epo yet, but I, I tuned in uh, while you had a very long on the air setup with uh, with Joel Bush, and I enjoyed uh, what I heard of the Capitol show. I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, it's a new show. Would you please uh, mention that? Five by five TV slash Capitol. Joel Bush, mm-hmm. friend of mine here, the guy that uh, that printed out all the Merlin shirts uh, with his company Amplifier. He has a show here where he's talking to. Oh, cool everything's people. coming together. Yeah, that's him. <sighs> that's him. It's it's a it's a great show. He's got a wonderful presence, and he taught him mic skills. He he knew that. He came in knowing that. I mean, we showed him what we had to show him, and then he did the rest. I thought it was very enjoyable. Dan, Dan, can I ask you a question? Go ahead, caller. Uh, uh, sorry, first time Joeler. Um, if you, uh, if people want to find show notes for episode one, two, no, 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 seven mm-hmm. of your back to work program, where would they go to find that? Uh, five by five dot TV slash B as in boys, two as in toucan, W as in wasteland slash one, two, seven. Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Stadenberg say April is the cruelest month. Reading lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory with desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Winter kept us warm. Because apparently I'm Richard Burton. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I know for sure is this. A horse's head is ultimately unknowable to me. Would you like me to quote movies in an accent? Yes. I was watching Iron Man 2 this morning. I'm working on my mystery work. Where do you pull this stuff from? Where do I pull it from? I probably... I- I don't know. You're quoting like an obscure 70s movie that no one knows. Equus? Yeah. Who knows that? It's a very popular movie. It's got Jenny Agutter. Jenny Agutter is one of those, uh, (laughs) she's one of the shadowy people in uh, Avengers, along with Powers Booth from the uh, Jim Jones movie. Did you know that? Did you know that? I did not know that. First of all, A, I had no idea that Nick Fury had to answer to anybody. And then when he does, he goes into that room with the shadowy figures and, uh, you know, the, the main guy is Powers Booth. Did you ever see that Jim Jones uh, TV? Uh, uh, Guyana Tragedy, one of my favorite. Yep, that's him. I yep, want to do yep, something yep. like that myself. Not with the dying. A South American tragedy. Just have a compound like that. That's all. Uh, I, want. I don't want God, all the and I would, I would love to have a compound. I see so many people out there struggling in obscurity to, to become some kind of a, 
uh, anti-hero, a, a, a villain. I would say, Merlin, you're on your way. Thank you. Thank you. I've got a kind of compound in here. I've got compound problems. <laughs> compound W. Compound People sentences. Compound sentences and comma and Jenny Agutter. She's the lady with the little, you can tell she has a little bit of a bob. You know who she is, right? Uh, so she, in the she's, movie? She's the lady in Equus and you see her boobs. She's the lady in American Werewolf in London. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you ready for this? She's the lady in Logan's Run. Really? Mm-hmm. And now she's trying, trying to push Nick Fury around. I don't like the guy. I don't trust him. I think he turns everything into a weapon. He says it's for energy. I don't believe him. Yeah, I remember her. <sighs> Me was, she in, was she in... No, she wasn't in Brainstorm, was she? No, that's... Natalie Wood. Yeah. That's, now, if you want to understand Silicon Valley and recumbent bikes, you got to watch Brainstorm. Natalie that's Wood really was good, something, that's a, wasn't That's she? a really good, bad movie. That, was, that movie was way ahead of its time, I think. That's when Chris, before Christopher Walken was Christopher Walken. Yeah, that was early on. I'm going to make a note here that I need to watch fewer movies. Fewer. When do you okay. watch the movies? At night? You know, I do, and I, I started watching more movies. I watched, um, I think, about 16 hours of World War II documentaries this weekend. I watched something called The World at War, which is a 26-part <laughs> documentary on World How War II. When, when do you have the time for this? Um, I tell I tell my family that there's a bomb threat. Right. No, no. After they uh, after they uh, you know uh, go go to sleep, sometimes when I'm at my work at my business, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll watch stuff. I was watching Iron Man this morning, like I say. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and by the way, it's uh, narrated by Sir Lawrence Olivier, also mm. in the Marathon Man, which I watched last week. Um, uh, movies, fewer movies. Is it safe? Movie? Is it safe? Yeah, he's a compulsive runner in that. Mm-hmm. Which I am also after I eat a whole onion. <laughs> God, it's so bad. We were yeah. worried you forgot your bell in the Macworld studio. Big, big yellow onions. No, 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 no. I had it, uh, had it in my bag. Mm. Okay, very, very fast reminder. We're eventually going to talk about this book, I think. Just a reminder again, maybe in two weeks, I think. Talk about this book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. We've talked about it a lot. But that's uh, part of the reading list. Um, and uh, we've talked about it a lot, so I won't mention it again, except to say you can go to Amazon or the iBooks or the what have you. I'll put it in show notes. Pick up a copy of So Good They Can't Ignore You. Um, and in a nut, if you're not a regular listener, shame on you. Uh, it's a book about how the advice to follow your passion can be a terrible idea and how acquiring skills can be more important. Mm-hmm. And don't you think, that doesn't that kind of sound like a, like a quick thing? I think it does. It does. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, comics. I had a comics. You got a comics recommendation this week? Hmm. Well, excuse me. I've just started reading that Hawkeye, My Life is a Weapon thing. Very, just a few pages in. So it's, I can't, I can't recommend it, but just Mm -hmm. for the artwork alone, Mm -hmm. I would recommend it because it's the most amazing, amazing artwork. So just flipping through it, looking at just the artwork, I can recommend Planet Hulk by Greg Hawk. Planet Hulk is so good. Have you watched the, uh, the Marvel? No. Comic, so I'll, you know what? I'm just going to go with Planet Hulk by Greg Pak since okay. I can't really, I can't really uh, yet fully condone Hawkeye. No, no, life as I, well. I don't want to talk about it until you like it. Um, so that might be never. <laughs> okay. I'm going to piggyback on that. I'm going to also recommend. Uh, this is written by, uh, I think it was written by a guy. He is an android that was actually created by Ultron, who was created by uh, Hank Pym. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Vision. Vision was made by Ultron. Was made by begat Abraham. Yeah, Vision was created to. 
to, to go to do be the like killing a, because of the Oedipal complex of Ultron. Yeah, because uh, the the way that uh, Vision was sort of like his uh, angel of death in a way. It flipped around pretty fast, though. Vision's awesome. He married Scarlet Witch. No mm -hmm. spoilers. Oh, boy. And then Avengers Disassembled. Oh, my God. That's my third recommendation. Uh, my first recommendation is, uh, in addition to Planet Hulk, follow it up. Do yourself a favor. Buy both of these today. Uh, Planet Hulk and then World War Hulk. World War, War Hulk is so fun. Let's just put it this way. Planet Hulk, some people do something to Hulk that's kind of bad, and it makes him mad. And then... He comes back to exact his revenge. That's all I'm going to say about that. And boy, is there a lot of revenge. It's really good. Yeah, so what was my third recommendation? I don't remember. Okay, <clears throat> my second one. I'm bummed out to find out this is uh, according to the, um, the solicitations. This is a, a, a series that's being discontinued. But I bought the trade of this. Journey into Mystery by Catherine Imonen. I want to say that right. I think it's uh, maybe Stuart. Hermonen's wife or something? I don't know. I don't want to say I don't want to be normative, but <clears throat> Journey into Mystery uh, by, M I think, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, Catherine Hermonen and Valerio Schitti. Well, that's unfortunate. Journey into Mystery. It's, uh, you know, it's, isn't that where Thor came from originally? Maybe? What, what very, his start was? I'm not sure. <clears throat> well, I think Journey into Mystery back in the day was was very Thor-y. Um, and uh, anyway, it's it's part of. I don't know if it's technically part of Marvel now. The trade came out, uh, I think, like last month, two months ago, and it's so fun. It's all about Sif mostly, mm. and it's really fun. It's very. It reminds me a little bit of the Samney Thor comic, which I can highly recommend, especially. Well, I haven't finished, never finished it, so I don't, I don't know if there's any Holocaust or anything, but I think it's good for reading to kids. This one uh, so far is pretty good. It's very funny, very like kind of self-referential. Um, Journey into Mystery trade paperback. I'm sorry to hear that's discontinued because it's really fun. Um, they, 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 uh, they, they've taken out a couple of their lady comics. It's, it's a bummer. She-Hulk they, uh, they, they, uh, they got rid of. Hmm. There's a red She-Hulk, rainbow She-Hulk. Anyway, Journey into Mystery. <clears throat> yeah. <clears> hmm. <throat> hmm. <clears throat> you don't have it there. Oh. <clears throat> Does that look clean to you? <clears throat> Why the future? You like that one a lot, don't you? Whew. I like that cough. Um, I've been watching. I watched it again. I've been watching about thirty minutes a night of that movie. Are you watching the film? It's like a it's like a devotional for you. You've got I just, like I put it on it, it, certain time yes. of night. You just want to see it. Yes, it can be, as Nietzsche says, it can be a consolation. Hmm. Yeah, you go through your day and you're like... Do you, do you pick out a certain, is it a certain repeating half hour or do you just kind of go through in order? <laughs> no, I, I hit play and I watch 30, about 30 minutes and I stop it. And I watch the <laughs> I IT crowd. You go into VLC, whatever that is with bookmarks and watch maybe exactly the same, exactly 30 minutes every time. Now that, that would show that I was on what, what uh, Trent calls a downward spiral. Oh, Okay. Had like a hole. Mm -hmm. Comma. It's a good movie. It gets better Black every time I see soul. it. Oh, it absolutely gets better. And, I, you know, he is the one who could almost convince me to wear a hat. I'm not a hat guy. I'm not a vest guy. I'm definitely not a leather pants guy. And I'm a little bit of envy, envious of anybody who can pull those things can off. Can I tell I you a little, a little secret? Terrible in a hat. Can I tell you a little secret? You can tell me any secret. While I was in San Francisco this last time when we met. Yes. Before that, I went to the only hat shop that I could find that was walkable. I don't want to say who they were, but it was walkable. And I spent... I think you're of walkable hats in the financial I, district. I spent uh, damn near an hour in there trying to find a hat for you. Mm -hmm. 
that I thought on, you on could like wear. Three different, thank you, Dan. First of all, on like three different occasions, you've, you know what? On about five different occasions, you've asked me what size I am for various things. <laughs> yeah. And as you can tell from my irascible reply to mm-hmm. just simply asking me what size I am, mm-hmm. I, can I just tell you where my brain goes on that? Where? Okay, first of all, A, you're buying me like a weird piece of clothing that's probably a baseball cap. Uh-huh. You know, baseball caps to me are like tech t-shirts. You know what I mean? Sure. They get a place of honor. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or you're going to buy me a fancy hat because you're a gentleman and then I'll look dumb in it. I'll look like a child because I look like a child when I wear a hat. But then I also think maybe you're making a life-size dummy of me to do something with. No, and I don't. I don't even know why. I'm not a dummy. I mean, I went to college and stuff, but uh, you know, I'm rolling model decoy. So I don't know. Th- thank you so much for doing that. When I tried, wasn't able hat- to find anything that I thought would suit you and was also in your size. I'm s- seven and a quarter. But that hat that you showed me, flaccid. That hat that you showed me, the it, the picture of you on looks too small in the picture. Oh, the straw boater. Mm-hmm. Boater. Oh, that's the straw boater. Straw boater. What has happened to this show, by the way? Have you ever been a gambler? gambler. Mark that. Pick me. I should either have a lot more or a lot less coffee. Mm-hmm. There was a time uh, you used to have two pots a day. Two pots a day, just like Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. I um, look terrible in a hat. Thank you. Uh, you look good in a hat. Oh, thank you. <laughs> looks good on you. It looks good on you, though. Um, Dan, uh, before we get back to our fake follow-up, would you like to tell me about anything you like? There is a little something I, I could tell you about this week. It's if, a little you thing, share, if you would share that, I'd appreciate it. It's that. a little thing I like to call Squarespace. Oh, it's one of those startups. They're a company coming out of uh, New York. Uh, they're it in be, the Soho, it, Soho district. Oh. You ever been out there? Ever seen Soho? Yes. It's the nice part. It's not pronounced Houston. The next time I go to New York, I'm going right in and right out of Soho. I'm not, none of the rest of that place is You can get a direct flight right into Soho? God, I wish. That's it. Thanks very much to squarespace.com for making this show possible. Supporting, um, Dan, I want to tell you about this thing I like. It's this uh, little little, little company that's just uh, doing a startup. They're called Squarespace. Have you Mm -hmm. heard of these guys? I have heard of them. Thanks to Squarespace for supporting 5 by (laughs) 5 back to work. So, can you tell me about anything you like? Here's the deal. They're always adding new features to what I would describe as an all-in-one platform for creating your own website. If, if you're like Merlin and all you, all you want to do is post funny pictures, that's fine. You can do that. Uh, back in the old days when, when he used to be Merlin Man, he used to write. Oh, that's when I used to talk into my shoe. Mm-hmm. Even before that. Oh, back when I used to post uh, photos of myself writing. Mm-hmm. And when having the right writing pad was very important. <laughs> just like Natalie Portman. Yeah. And what you would do is you would, you would write stuff. This is a great platform to write stuff. They have really, really great tools. We don't talk about the basics as much as I think we could. We talk about the fancy features, the features like you can connect it to your Dropbox. And when you upload pictures to Dropbox from your camera, they automatically become a gallery, like things like that, that are really cool. Being able to integrate stuff from, from GitHub, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, all of these whoa, whoa, things. Get, GitHub. Mm-hmm. That's bananas. Yeah, they can do that. And being able to sell stuff, like with their commerce stuff, and not having to pay more money to be able to sell stuff. They're partnered with Stripe, so you can take credit cards. And adding a product is as easy as adding a page. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the basic stuff of just the day-to-day things that you do, like how hard is it 
to go and write a post and make it look pretty. It's really, really easy. And you can add content in the way that you would want to add it by like dragging and dropping stuff. Like you can find an image and just drag it and move it around and it just looks good and it looks right and you don't have to fight with it. People like you and I, we might want to use Markdown. You can use Markdown if you want. But for regular humans who don't want to do that or if you're building a beautiful site that you want to be able to hand off to somebody and give them an account and say your account has permission to write stuff and they don't know what HTML is but they want to make a link or make something bold – All of this is really, really simple and really built in and they can add their images. They can make galleries. They can do all this amazing stuff without knowing the first thing even about what they're doing other than how to create the content, which is is very valuable. And Squarespace is the next time that you're thinking about building a site, the next time that you feel frustrated with whatever system you're using right now, these guys are really worth checking out. You get a trial that's free. You can import the content from, I don't want to say all, but it seems like all, if not most, of the other systems that are out there, pull the content that you have existing into Squarespace and try it out with your content, your site, try it. And, uh, and I think you're going to like it. It starts at just eight bucks a month. If you use our code, Merlin, mm-hmm. do you, do you know what the code is? Little knives, little knives, one word. It's going to give you 10% off anything you do at Squarespace. You sign up for a year and you get a free domain name. It's really great. They're really, really good folks. And yeah. The, I mean, just to put it back on that, the, nice. uh, you know, there's two words that get really abused when you talk about stuff. Yeah. Um, fast and easy. Uh, this is really fast and really easy. However you want to work, it makes it very simple to, to put stuff up. I mean, when you made that crack about what I used to do, well, what I used to do was sit around and try to get open source content management systems to work. Right. That's what I used to do. You'd fight with it. And, and fiddle and play. And, and here's what you need to understand about this. I, I always feel like I have to say this. Like, I don't know if this is for everybody, but it, this is for someone you know, and it might be you. Because not everybody out there wants to sit around and uh, play with their Jekyll install all day. God bless it. Some people want to just go in there. They don't want to have to have a Sinatra or a cucumber. You want to just be able to go in there and get this stuff up. And that's what you do. You can do it from your phone. You can do it from the web. You can do it from wherever you want. And it goes up fast. It goes up easy. You don't have to learn Markdown. You just click a thing and hit the B and it turns bold. And then it's on the site, Right. It's not, it's, you're not going to be thinking about what kind of plugins to put in and update. You're going to be thinking about what kind of stuff you want to get up fast and then go back to whatever inspires you to go make more stuff. It's, it's that easy. It really, it's the best. And I hope you guys will check it out and, uh, and use the, uh, the little knives code. Just like Loki, your little knives you throw at me. Maybe you're the Loki to my Thor. Have you thought about that? I have not. Okay, well, let's just circle back to that. Okay. And so uh, they go to squarespace.com. They don't need to go to the slash back to work. That doesn't help us at all if they go there. Uh, I mean, it, it's fine if they want to do that. The main thing is using that code. That's what I've yeah. been told. But uh, uh, really, seriously, check this out. If, if you know, for nobody else than the people around you, check this out because there's somebody's life, someone around you whose life can be saved uh, by the service. And we really hope you'll check it out. So squarespace.com. And our thanks to Squarespace and little Ryan and to really a Soho, Sao How, as I like to say, uh, writ large for supporting 5 by 5 and back to work. It's the only, only good part of news. What has happened to this show? Well, I mean, the first part will never air. <clears throat> Better not. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, Thor. Uh, Thor movie. I, yeah. The Natalie Portman Thor relationship. I thought he was dating Sif. I thought that was a thing. Uh, it, seemed, it seemed like it was. And the, I don't know who's into Natalie Portman these days. Uh, the lady from King of the Hill. But she's not. That's the thing. They took it and they turned it. Hmm. I thought that movie was good. I don't think it hung together. 
But I, I thought, I don't think it, it gestalted, but I thought it was good, The Black Swan. I thought it was good. There are certain parts of that movie I really enjoyed. Yes, the dancing. The dancing, the makeup. The makeup. Costumes. Costumes business, were amazing. Business papers. Um, <clears throat> uh, it's too early to talk about this incomparable. I'm going to say, say one thing about this. You get you got to tune into the incomparable soon. If you're around Wednesday night, you might want to listen to the incomparable being recorded. That's all I'm gonna say about that. All right. Incomparable is a podcast on Five by Five that I like a lot. Uh, Did you ever, have really, you ever heard their intros to the incomparable with the robot voice? Yeah, I listened to every episode. That's not a robot voice. Is that actually what Jason? Snell That's said? Jason Snow's <laughs> real voice. Oh man, I'm sorry. You're gonna get me banned. I know. Lying. Here's li- listen. Here's the here's what it sounds like. People haven't heard this. Hang on. Oh no! Please don't. Sponsored by Audible. The okay, while well, he's doing his podcast, go away from that one. Oh no! Please cut this out. Why? Because you're going to get me in trouble. No, here's the one. Listen, this is what the intro sounds like. The incomparable number one hundred forty-four, June twenty thirteen. Welcome back to the incomparable podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. You can't then- fool me. That's Tom York. No, this is this is the episode you were on. You were on this show. You were on with with, uh, with John Syracuse. I've been on two, and, and I was going to be on three, but I think I'm going to get the band hammer. Meow, meow. This is a good show. I really, really do like this show. This is one of oh, the, it's a terrific show. This is one of the shows I always make time to listen to whenever I uh, whenever I can. And uh, you're going to be on this one, so I'm listening. Thank you. Uh, I hope. I hope still. I mean, if we talk about it now, maybe he'll look bad if he cancels me. But yeah, you know what? I one thing I like about podcasts um, is that I may not there there aren't that many podcasts that I listen to every single episode of, but a lot of them I will tune in. Not because of the guest, even. I mean, in the case of the incomparable, if, if it's a certain lineup, as long as they're not talking about you know uh, the vampire sex things like John Syracuse likes, I don't I don't get into the vampire sex stuff like he does. I thought but, he was into the what do they call that what, slash fiction where Kirk and Spock months? are together or whatever. Oh, slash fiction. Is that what? Isn't that what he does? I would like to see some John Syracuse of slash fiction. I don't think he lets anyone read it. Now, who would you slash him with? John Syracuse and somebody, or the fiction that he writes? Larry Wall. <sighs> Oh, God. You're just uh, awful. Oh, no, it's backslash fiction. Oh, God. Is that funny? <clears throat> yeah, it's very funny. <clears throat> Darn you. I thought that was kind of funny. I mean, you, your fans will like it. Yeah, kiss my asterisk. <clears throat> That's funny in like three ways. Um, uh, let's see. So the incomparable. Uh, I don't have time for this. Uh, keyboard maestro. I finally... Um, uh, 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 D Sparks and Katie Floyd did an episode on Keyboard Maestro. It's one of those things that the drum beat of Keyboard Maestro has finally gotten close enough to my ears and I've been playing with it. It's pretty neat. So in a future episode, I might want to talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, have you, have you ever messed with it? Keyboard Maestro? Keyboard Maestro. Yeah. It's kind of like a cross between like Automator and what's that? What's that app? we used to use for doing automation where you could like say, click in this area to click a button. Do you remember that app Mm-mm. on Macs back in the day? Somebody, somebody will remember somebody in the uh, Twitter, Twitter told me what that app is. Um, I forget what it's called, but no, it's really quite amazing. I mean, in a second, like in a second, in like a, in just like a few seconds, I made, made a, a little macro that takes the show art that I'm going to put up in the notes for the site and just opens it up in acorn and makes it 600 pixels. Yeah. I could do that as a droplet or whatever, but Boy, it's one of those things you could really you could really trick out your world with this. I'm very intrigued, very intrigued. So there's that. That's pretty much it. Fifty one minutes in. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. 
You know, I had several ideas for topics, but there's one I'm just going to toss out. Can I toss this out? Go for it. Bosses. Yes. Is that dumb? Mm-mm. <laughs> I like that. Well, I had other ideas. My other ideas were catch up every morning and not the thing I didn't mean to say. But uh, can, I, can I read something from my, uh, my Tumblr dashboard? Yes. Okay, this is from Muff Punch. This is from Muff Punch. Okay. This is from Muff Punch. Yes. Muff Punch is, is, is the lady who made a Captain Marvel Carol's Lucky Hat for my daughter. Okay. She's, she's very, very gifted. Uh, she's not a seamstress like my friend Bridget, but uh, she, she does amazing stuff of all kinds. And she's a riot. She always posts this stuff about a, her A job. regular laugh riot? She's a regular laugh riot. Uh, this, is, this is not super long, but give me a minute with this. She, I guess she works kind of like a, like a front desk type thing. She, she, she's her boss. Okay, here we go. The owner, yells out, the owner yells out, is that for me? Whenever I put a call through to anyone, no matter where he is in the office, then he gets mad when he gets to his desk and can't see which line the call is on that's not for him. And then when he finds out the call was not in fact for him, he again gets mad and says, why do you call me? Even though his name was never said ever. And then he goes back to cutting his toenails or eating the office peanut butter right out of the jar. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I had so much resonance with that. Anyway, I thought it would be interesting to talk about bosses. We've talked about management stuff a little in the past. Uh I am hard on on, on management. (laughs) I thought it might be interesting for a flaccid. Okay. It's my hat size. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know. That's that's a really general topic, but I thought it might be fun to riff on a little bit because I um I I think a lot of us, uh, you know, at least for, for myself, I, I I have a thousand like horror stories about bosses. Some of which I've shared on this show. You look nice today. I've talked about some of my boss horror stories, but I'm also really interested in my how culpable I was in those bad relationships, and if, if they weren't such gentle persons, what kind of stories they would have about me. So I guess one idea I had was like, if you have a couple horror stories, I think that's always funny. But I also want to talk about like what we think makes a good boss mm. from like, uh, or, you know, again, in your case, you might want to say what you try to do to be a good boss. But, I, you know, everybody's got a solution to everything. You know, everywhere I've ever been, I got my running list of all the things that should be better because I'm so darn smart. Um, I thought it might be fun to make fun of bosses a little, but then also talk about what kinds of things... I'd like to talk about a few things that have um, made my life better because of having an amazing boss, even at times I didn't even realize they were an amazing boss. That's very broad, isn't it? No, I like that topic because I think one of the things I I struggle with the most is it's very easy to know if you're successful in your line of work because the success can usually be measured. Maybe you measure it by did the book I was writing, you know, sell enough copies or did we increase our bottom line? Are we making money? Are we getting the recognition in whatever scientific circles we would like to get? You know what I mean? Like there are measurements that say, yes, my career is going somewhere or these good things are happening, but it's much harder to tell. I think at least for me, if I'm doing a good job being an, being an employer or being a boss, and maybe there's a difference but maybe we should make that distinction between empl- being an employer or being a boss because – An employer versus a boss versus a leader versus a manager right. because they all have very different connotations. Yeah, to yeah. So what do, what, what, what do you mean by that? What were you thinking? An employer is someone who's in a position to hire people and pay them. Right. A boss is somebody who's tasked with making sure that you do your work. Uh, a manager is uh, somebody whose job it is to make sure that you're fitting into the corporate structure and following the chain of command. Mm-hmm. And a leader is somebody who makes you want to do a great job because they do a great job. Sorry, I read that off a card. Yeah, that sounds prepared. It's pretty good though, huh? Very good. 
<clears throat> yeah. Well, you know, um, watching all this World War II stuff makes me think about, you know, chain of command, as they call it. You know, this idea that whether you're in the army or at Walmart, there is a certain way to escalate whatever problems or whatever come along. I, I don't know. I, I don't know where I first heard this, and I'm constantly citing it out of my butt. But like supposedly, you know, in a large corporate structure, um, it is like the military in the sense that as a manager, your job is to keep every problem. Well, to, if you think about the flow going two ways, on the one hand, the flow downward up to you, you have to, you want to, to the extent possible, contain everything inside of your fiefdom. Like, let's say you're the manager of a McDonald's or you're the manager of a Walmart or the manager of a, of a regional paper office. Like, it's your job to keep anything that happens in there contained, right? You don't want anybody over your head to find out that a problem did not taken, get taken care of. Right. And then from the other point of view, and this is a little reductive, but that's okay. Um, stuff that comes down to you, whether that's mandates, budgets, um, changes in policy, branding, logo usage, whatever it is that comes down from above, you have you. So I guess what I'm saying is like you become this this valve between the stuff above and the stuff below. Everything from above has to be implemented correctly below you to your lieutenants and so on, and everything below you that comes up should be handled by the right person. Mm-hmm. So and and I say that's you know like the military in some ways. I mean you know Dwight D Eisenhower shouldn't have to take a call if you can't find your spoon. Right, he's a five-star general. He leads the four, three, and two-star generals, and so forth. And that's how you have this command and control structure, you know, chain of command thing that, that works well. Um, so the reason I mention that is, I, first of all, I think that's that sounds really obvious because it is. But think about that. Think about what that means for the person who's managing. It's really it's a tough balance to strike. You know, it's a little bit like this this little Lego Sims thing where you have to make sure that that you know what's happening inside mm-hmm. your part of the organization. And you have to know that you've empowered the right people with the right amount of supervision to do the right things. So that when you do go to your, uh, the people above you, you can look good. Right. You can show that things are being done properly. And I guess at that bottom line level, uh, when somebody has to go to the board or release earnings, if you know what I mean, you know, your part of it looks good. You know, you make a really good point about the whole looking good thing. And I think for a lot of people, I remember back in, in my, you know, corporate days, there was a guy who wanted to, so he had these different levels. There was like a, a system analyst is what they would, <laughs> that, that was what they would. <laughs> That's not a system analyst too. That's right. That was the second level system analyst or system analyst one. I love those terms. And, and like that meant a certain salary. And even though, you know, you might be a software developer, you might be a project manager, you might be whatever, like that was your official title. And there was a system analyst two. And then there was a, even something a system analyst three, which was also an SME subject matter expert. Mm. And the system <laughs> analyst three was like parallel to a manager but had no direct reports. And that was like the holy grail of jobs to have because you were, oh. you, you, you were like a manager or a boss, if you will, but you had basically no responsibility for anybody else. It was just yourself. Or, or put, put, put more uh, saliently, if somebody really screwed up, you wouldn't get it, taken to the woodshed. No, it. It was, and it was never you. And what this guy would do, and he was, he was assistant analyst three, I think, he would, he would always attach himself to any project that he would think was successful, would be successful. 
<laughs> so that his name would wind up on it because he would just automatically be the most senior, quote unquote, developer on the project. He would get the credit for it, even if he had almost nothing to do with it, if he was only involved in the absolute periphery of the project. But it's like the career version of photobombing. Yeah, just, like, no, it's exactly what it's like. <laughs> and he, that's perfect. And, and, but he would do this and, you know, he would, I don't know how much credit he was actually taking for it, but the, you know, all the projects had his name on it. And there's so much of this concept of like looking good and being on the right project. And I, I don't think this makes sense in a startup with 18 people in it, you know, but I think it's, it's very, uh, it's very real in, in the corporate world, especially in a big company. I don't mean to derail what you're saying, but no, you're, that you're not, looking you're, good thing is is real. And if people aren't seeing other, if that's not in your experience, that's just know that that's a that's a real thing. Well, I take your point completely, and I I agree with your agreeing with me. Um, <laughs> from from my point of view, as a a, I've been a manager for like three minutes, and it didn't work out. But from my point of view, as the person at the bottom of the ladder at the bathroom floor level, if you like, um, I'm always looking at, oh, this guy's just trying to look good or take the credit or so on. But, but here's where that military angle comes in. In the example of, uh, no spoilers, but uh, they called it uh, Project uh, Overlord, right? Uh, what went into what we, well, you know, you could very loosely call, uh, you know, D-Day. Uh, <laughs> D-Day, it was not nearly as simple as, hey, let's go attack the beach in France, it's mind-boggling how much preparation went into this. I mean, I really, seriously, I can highly recommend spending a, like probably half of your life watching these documentaries because it's <laughs> endlessly engrossing. They did things like they brought in an entire like a, a, a wharf, the, the the one of the biggest pieces of like success, on, like the Klingon. Yeah, exactly. Right, the guy with the with the crab on his head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, well, I think you're. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you don't mean a wharf? You mean the wharf? They, first of all, they send in a bunch of paratroopers to the, not to the wrong place, although that did happen to Easy Company, but you send in a bunch of paratroopers to kind of distract the enemy on, on this side so that you can then send in these planes to bomb the beach and start kind of break down, try to break down all of these defenses. And then, of course, you have the ridiculous, like, whatever, 5,000 ship, you know, uh, beach landing. But there's so much that went into that. You think about all the moving parts of that, and it was all based on weather. There's like one guy and his team mm -hmm. that is checking in with Eisenhower every day and, and, and the staff, all the generals and so forth, the admirals. And it's this guy's job to come in there and like give the best conceivable information on weather because the Germans know we generally only attack in really good weather. But every day that we wait, now we're just keep remembering, we're talking about half a million people involved in this project, something like that, 400,000 people, something like that. You know, <laughs> think about being the manager of that mm. and making the decision, like flipping that zero to a one and saying, okay, it's time to, to risk the lives of like half a million people to go and do this thing that could be the turning point in, 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 this, in this battle. And of course, think about the pressure on the guy who's the weather guy. Mm -hmm. He sends the signal that goes along. Think about this, though. The days that they had to sit on the ships with the backed up toilets and, you know, and the bad food and they're waiting. And then, you know, there's a certain point in the day where they'll go, guys, it's, it's not today. <sighs> and you got to sit there and you're just, it's like waiting and you're so like full of fear and anxious energy. Well, all of the, every person in that chain of command has no control over the hour that Eisenhower decides that it's time to right. invade right. Normandy. Right. They can't help you. They, they can do what they can about the toilets, but basically you're just going to have to deal but the, this is where it hopefully gets to your point or my point or whoever's point is that when you're in a position of management, you know things. 
You know things from above that you can't tell everybody or that you won't tell everybody. Or because it might be need to know information, but you have to have a certain amount of discretion in what you tell people. So what does that mean? That means whether that's the guy next to the poopy toilet on the uh, on the troop carrier, or whether that's somebody who's wondering why you know uh, there isn't nicer toilet paper in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. There may be something that people over your head know that you not only don't know that they know, <laughs> but if you did know that, they wouldn't even be able to tell you. And there's an opacity to management. Um, people talk about all this transparency stuff, which is, you know, the more people talk about transparency, the more they're really talking about opacity. If they're being transparent, they wouldn't need to talk about it. You know, it's like telling somebody you're not a liar. Well, why, why'd you tell me that? Right. You know what I mean? Again, when they go into these, uh, when they're going into Germany and finally toward the end in 45, going every village where people went out of their way <laughs> to tell them that they weren't a Nazi, they knew that they were a Nazi. Uh-huh. <laughs> the people who weren't Nazis were terrified. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, it's like sending your wife flowers for no reason. Think, think about that. So, um, <laughs> unless you do a Guyana tragedy kind of thing where right, you but just, at least, at least serve refreshments. Yeah. Make it, make it completely random just to, to prove that when it actually does matter that, it, you know what I'm saying? You know, who's in that is that guy from uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. The Indian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you mean African-American. <laughs> so anyway, uh, <laughs> I think that's one of the one of the inherent difficulties of any kind of management is, you know, uh, to quote everybody who's ever been on a reality show, you know, I'm not here to make friends. Your job is to not go in there and, and be somebody's, you know, dad or mom. Your, your job is to go in and make sure that the mandates of the people above you are put into place. You know, so the person that I work for, the boss that I have, except in a very small company, which is a pretty different animal, but um, a much more chaotic animal, if that's possible, uh, is that is that they they have exactly as much control or power as they can accumulate, mm-hmm. and uh, as somebody else will kind of let them have, right? So again, think about the military. Like if you were a lieutenant colonel who suddenly decided to go invade Normandy on your own, that it kind of seems like a good idea. But like actually, we've kind of got a plan for that going on already over here. There's this whole thing what we need to coordinate on, and if you decide you decide to go in and grab you know three. Uh, uh, you know, transport uh, planes and start jumping off of them, that's kind of going to F up our plan a oh, little. Oh, yeah. So I'm sorry to, to talk so long about that. I just, I just think that, like, I'm fine. It took me a long time to realize that there's a lot more complexity to being a boss than I realized. And maybe, you know, maybe one aspect of that or one aspect of explaining that is the difference between, as you say, an employer, a boss, a manager, and a leader. You know, because you know what? I, I got one thing I will say. I, I got to tell you, I, I, I think a lot of people in a position of power, you could read all the books that you want, but I still think they don't live the distinction between being a boss, a manager, and a leader in particular. Because you could be a leader uh, with, by being somebody who's a uh, private or a corporal. You could be a great leader. You could, like in D&D, have lots of intelligence and charisma. You could make people want to follow you because you do the right thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the reason one of those guys doesn't get, uh, doesn't get to run the uh, Platoon and Easy Company. Is he's one of those guys that thinks he has to yell at people all the time. You know, not realizing that that actually hurts, harms your credibility more than it Im- improves it. Mm-hmm. I'm all over the map with bosses. You jump in. Well, you know, the thing that I keep hearing is, you know, you're making a lot of, you've been look, watch, watching this thing about the, you know, the army and that kind of thing. And I think in it, it's very easy. I mean, this comes from my extensive experience in all of the armed forces. <laughs> but it seems like it's very, it's easier to know 
what your job is in the armed forces because you kind of get an assignment and you have a rank and you know exactly who's above you and who's, who's below you in the chain of command. You know what your role in your job is, I would think, maybe more so than, oh, we're hiring you as a developer. Oh, or you're a system analyst for. But right. if you see somebody who has more stripes than you, you salute and ask mm-hmm. what you can do to help. Yeah, and, and I, feel like, I feel like in, you know, I always hear about these companies that say, oh, we've got a really flat hierarchy here where it's a flat organization and you can just walk in the CEO's office and sit down and talk and, uh, you know, if you need help, she'll help you. You know, it's that kind of thing. Whereas, and, and by the way, I know, I like that, but I just don't understand, I don't exactly understand how, how that works uh, in how stuff gets done if there's nobody really driving it. I mean, I guess if you hire people who are all really, really independent self-starters, then that can work. But what if, what about the, the one person who just is, is more used to just going along with, I don't know. I just, that, that always strikes me as, as weird. I'm not sure how that works, but I've hear from people that it works great. I don't know if it worked right for me. I kind of like knowing, you know, I always appreciated it if somebody gave me a deadline. I always appreciated it if I knew that there was, that I had to do a status update or that I was going to have to be in a meeting and present this thing that I was working on. Like those things motivated me because it, it's always been very, very easy for me to procrastinate. So I right. always appreciated it. And it's nice to know what the marching orders are, even if it's yeah. not given to you in a, <clears throat> in a sort of top-down way. It's, you need to know what the plan is to work independently. You do. And I, I think not everybody wants to work independently. I, mean, I think most of our listeners are going to fall into the category of people who, who are probably would like to or would like to try that. And I'm not saying being told exactly what to do is good, but the, the bosses that I remember liking were the ones that trusted me and would say, you know, let's, let's talk about what it is that you're going to be working on. And I would be given those parameters, whether it was something, you know, like, oh, this is a website or, oh, we need this kind of code written and it needs to do the following 32 things. And then giving me a deadline for it to be done and then just getting out of my way and letting me work on it. And you know what? Maybe we can check in periodically. But for them, the ones that I liked, especially in the world of development, were the ones that they didn't care whether I was working at 2 a.m. or 2 p.m. They didn't care if it took me, you know, obviously if, it, if they budgeted 80 hours and it only took me 12, that would be something I would want to bring up. But generally being rewarded for what you're able to produce as opposed to how and when you produce it, the managers that understood that, that those were always the ones that I really, uh, really appreciated the most. Mm-hmm. But that's a very specific, I think, development kind of focused thing. I but- don't know. I don't know if it, I don't know if it is though. I don't. Mm-hmm. I think you're onto something bigger. Um, where, like, if we take that from just a slightly different angle, uh, I think that's true for almost anybody. Like, regardless of what your job is inside of a company, imagine that you let's put it put it in this much more arguably maybe abstract way, you work with somebody who knows more about a problem than you do and they give you the right amount of guidance to be able to go help solve it. Okay, well, who's the boss in that situation? Right. Well, See, a good, a good boss, so what you're saying then. But, but think, about, think about that for a minute. So, so, so you go in, you're going to talk to somebody who knows more about aspects of a problem than you do and find out 
what you need to do to help improve that problem. I think you could argue maybe that's that's you know silly, but the way I put that, but I think that's really true. I think a good manager would go to their employee and say, "Do you you know more about this problem than I do? How can I help fix that?" A good manager would. Mm-hmm. Or, a good, or you, token, would, you could also say a good manager is somebody who feels like their job is to support the work that you're doing. Absolutely. I, I, all I mean to say is that if, if everybody agreed that the purpose of being here was not to match the mission statement or to, or to do the things we said in the video or the interview at the TED conference, what if we really were here to solve these interesting problems and collaborate together? Um, in, in that case, I think it would, if that was done, if that were done correctly, it would be virtually impossible to, to know who were the quote unquote bosses and who wasn't. And nobody would care because if it really did work that well, it was a small group everybody generally understood the problem to be solved and trusted the other people they work with, then there wouldn't be a problem. The the problem becomes if you think you're always the person who knows more about the problem Mm. and that it's somebody else uh, who needs to go take care of it. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's getting a little bit off your, your original thing of, um, you know, oh, you know, is this what it seems like? Is this a place where we go in and everything's, you know, really cool and wavy gravy. I think a lot of times maybe I'm just drunk. I think that is total total delusion. I think it's I think it becomes maybe not total delusion. It's nearly total delusion. It is a mass hysteria to believe that you're in an office that really is that wavy gravy. And you need look no further than the beer cooler. Mm-hmm. Look at the beer cooler. Is it still stocked with the same beer that was there the whole time? Can anybody really go up anytime they want and grab six beers and drink them? Not really. You better wait until the boss says, "Hey guys, it's low and brow time right. and everybody goes and grabs the beer and has exactly one less than the boss had or unless it's Tony Stark and then you probably should probably have fewer. Do you see, you take my point though? Yeah. I mean that, that kind of like that when I say self delusion, what I mean is like, no, you can't walk into the CEO's office. No, their door is not always open. Their door may be always open, but it probably shouldn't be open to you all the time. Mm-hmm. Go solve your own problem. But also, um, I think, I don't know. There's a, I don't know. I don't, this could probably be another episode and probably should be, but I think there is a level of self delusion to that. And if there's any one thing to take away from at least what I think is valuable is that when you think about managing people or leading people, I think you always have to start with motivation. Like, first of all, maybe from above your valve, you might say, well, what is the motivation of the people that I need to respond to? And if you like, please, well, I need to understand how I need to do this work to make them happy. And I need to, in some ways, try to decode what it is that's really going on that I don't know about. I need to use my own reason and judgment and experience and expertise and all of those fancy nouns to make the best decisions. Mm -hmm. But then when I'm dealing with the folks that are my direct reports or indirect reports even, um, I I need to also apply that same care to, to dealing with them and understanding their motivation. Because if you can't, if you can't motivate and when I say motivate, that doesn't mean inspire. That doesn't mean you give everybody a, a, a notebook like with a pithy phrase on it. Mm-hmm. Motivate means understand why they come and show up there every day and then find out how to make them excited to be there and do their best work. Not because you tell them to do their best work. Not because you stand over them. Not because you yell, is that for me? But because you're able to create the environment in which they're capable of doing their best work mm-hmm. and in which if you are the employer or hirer, you bring in the right people to build the culture of that team organically. That's a lot of stuff and it's really hard and it's really far off the idea of, of getting an extra stripe on your sleeve so you can yell at people. Mm-hmm. That's what makes a bad boss. A bad boss is somebody who thinks their job is to come in and push people around rather than figure out how everybody can learn more and be better. Wow. And that's, and that's hard. Mm-hmm. Sorry that was long. 
I think that opacity is an interesting thing, though, because it comes down to trust in some ways. What is, well, tr- what is trust? trust? Trust is believing that people will say what they're going to do and will, be, will do the right thing in your absence. Mm-hmm. That's one version of trust. You can trust somebody as long as you got a gun to their head, right? But can you trust them when the, when the gun's away? Well, if you're a good manager, you've hired the right people or been handed the right people, groomed the right people <laughs> so that you can trust them. Because if you can't trust them, no amount of standing over them and browbeating them is going to make them better at their job. If they are very good at their job, they are, in fact, going to be extremely resistant to that kind of approach. So then we're back to the Martin Scorsese situation, which is like, how do you figure out how to get, you don't have this, you don't go in and have an all-hands meeting with the entire crew and give them a mantra for a mission statement for for Goodfellas. You go in and figure out how to get the best performance out of every, uh, every actor on the set. You figure out, how to delegate to the right people. You bring in a schoonover or whatever to handle this aspect of the work. <laughs> right. And you say, uh, you know, Thelma, I, uh, I trust you. Thelma? Thelma. Louise? Louise. Uh, schoonover. I, I trust you because you are a great editor. Gordon Willis, I'm going to bring you in because you can cinematographer the crap out of stuff. And I'm not going to sit here and try to micromanage how you decide to light something. I'm not going to just go DP or whatever. I'm not going to micromanage how you pick this lens. I'm going to tell you, here's the movie I want to make. Here's how I want this to work out, and now let's collaborate on that. Because if the director tried to do every aspect on a Hollywood big-budget picture, tried to do every aspect themselves, can you imagine what that would be like? Mm. Do you think Kenneth Branagh did the CGI for Thor? No, he had to hire the right people and then maintain those relationships. Or in the case of something like Star Wars, you hire the right people, you work under these ridiculous constraints of, of time and budget, and somehow figure out how to work well enough with people to produce something that's really, really great. But in every single instance of that, working successfully, there's a loss of ego on the part of the person who's in charge. Or maybe they have enough, I don't say ego, but maybe they have enough dignity to know what other people can do better than them, and they understand what they can do to not just motivate those people, but to, to bring out the best work that they want to make. And, and, and that's why I'm so sensitive about stuff like mission statements. That's why I'm so sensitive about phony baloney stuff like, you know, bagels and cake in the conference room and all this kind of nonsense. You know, businesses and managers and bosses are more than happy to do something that's easy, convenient, and cheap for them to fake motivate people. It's a lot harder to really give something of themselves to people and to not just leave their door open and say, my door is always open, mm-hmm. but to actively be walking around the hallways and finding out what irreplaceable person is about to quit. That's a much more difficult job to do. Um, it's much harder to explain to the people over your head. And nobody's going to notice that until suddenly people quit and the deadline drops, the budget goes up, and now all of a sudden you're getting called on the carpet because you couldn't manage your Walmart. Right. I'm talking today. I like it. Um, can you imagine that, clipping your toenails at work? Uh, I knew someone that did, used to do that and they do their fingernails and, it's, and we had cubicles and you could hear... You could hear it. Couldn't escape it. And you do it all the time. Like I, you would think yeah. that, that like for most people, I think that's like a once every week or two activity, but he seemed to do it every day. I don't know why. It's, it, maybe it's Greg, uh, Greg was his name. Oh, Greg, you know, Aloha, Greg. That's, that's a great way to unwind. Hear the ricochet off the monitor. Um, you know what? We should, uh, we're running probably a little long today. We should, um, we should talk about this again. No, I like oh. this topic, and I think it's what's really interesting is that it it's it's tough for me to find a kind of standard that works across all of the different industries 
or as you say, job centers, you know what I'm saying? Because the way that you might run, like, again, we, let's talk about Joel Bush, your buddy, Joel, mm-hmm. the company that he runs is amplifier. They make t-shirts. The people that he has working there, the most, if that's, you know, they have people in support. They have some technology folks. They have the people who keep the equipment going. They've got people on the business side, you know, accounting and, and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But this overwhelming majority are people who work in this warehouse making the T-shirts and boxing them up and shipping them out. <laughs> where, where there are consequences to getting things wrong. Yes. <laughs> and these people have what I would say is one of the most important jobs in the company. And But, of course, these are people who, again, I don't know what he pays them, but you can think of these as essentially minimum wage people who come in and their job is going to be to learn how to run a screen printing press or to clean the screens or to – fold the boxes or load the trucks or whatever. These are people who are working for the most part with their hands. They're working in, uh, you know, in a warehouse, a big warehouse that gets pretty hot in the summer where they have lots of fans. But the turnover in a place like that and managing those people is a completely different kind of experience than managing, you know, for developers who are writing, you know, Ruby on Rails and, and doing design and, and they don't support. They don't support. Yeah. There's, there's, or there's sales who, or sales, Merlin. Sales as well. Both both can, can in my, from what I understand, both have very high turnover, very high cost um, to to replacing people and to getting to getting good new people. And in all three cases, you really, really, really want to retain those five percent that are that are you know ten times better than everybody else. Yeah, it's very hard to do. I have um, before, I guess we should wrap soon, but I, I have um, I have one suggestion. And as with all of my best advice, this has nothing to do with anything that I am good at. But um, as, a, as a former employee and large animal veterinarian, I, I, will say that, um, <laughs> <laughs> I will say that there's exactly one thing you can do in any situation, but particularly in management, um, that will increase your credibility. We talked before about credibility, but maybe there's two parts to this, but I think they're related. First of all, Building credibility could start with something as simple as this. <clears throat> I say what's going to happen, and then it happens. And then I say something else is going to happen, and it happens. And I keep doing that over and over and over and over. Is that a guarantee that people will love you? <laughs> Absolutely not. But it's a guarantee of, of one thing, which is that you can show that you have the ability to say a specific thing and then see that it gets done. Or notice how I phrase that, <clears throat> to say that something seemingly out of your control will happen and then you do something about it. So if you're a stock analyst, if you can predict the future and then it, it turns out to be correct, you're good at what you do. That's going to build your credibility above and below. <clears throat> if you say, I'm going to estimate how much it'll cost to do this project and when we can have it done by to the level of quality that we want, and then you do it. I mean, I don't care if that's one day's worth of work. If you do that over and over, dude, you are on another level mm-hmm. for most people. Because here's what drives people nuts. And like I say, this is no guarantee that you're going to be loved, but that's kind of not your job. You're, you're not there to be loved. You're there to have the company do good work. Um, if you can be loved, that's, that's a nice side effect, but it can also you know, sort of endanger or undermine your ability to, to keep a clear head about what has to be done. You know, Eisenhower talked about this, having to go and, and meet the soldiers that were about, they were expecting 70% casualties in some units. And he had to go and meet these guys and shake hands and know that there's a pretty good chance seven out of 10 of them would die. That's his job. His job is to send those guys off to die. He understands that. I mean, that's not a happy thing, but that's his job. If he didn't do that, if he sat around and asked him if he could give them warmer soup, he wouldn't be doing his job. But here's what I will say, whether you're in the army or Walmart or Muff Punch, 
you, when you work for people, if they do what they said that they were going to do, if things, if there are consequences in the way that they claim there will be consequences, if there, and if that is fairly applied in a consistent way, that is so much harder than it sounds, so much more difficult than it sounds. But that is a place to start. Before you worry about going off and taking people to ropes courses, like why don't you start building your credibility to where people might say, you know, that guy's a real tool, but he's a really consistent tool. And he, that he or she does what they say they're going to do. If you did that, I think you are playing, I mean, tell me if you agree or disagree, but I think you're playing on another level. What people hate is that inconsistency. And they hate that feeling that somebody's getting special treatment. And they hate the feeling that they could sit there for a year or two years and feel like they are getting more work and responsibility for less money than other people. Well, that's a bad situation. Because that either means, you know, that person's a dope for staying around, but their manager's even dopier for either A, not promoting them or giving them a raise, or B, not firing them because they're delusional. So it doesn't add up. Somebody's not doing their part, and it's the manager's job to determine what that is and then be consistent and fair about that. And then things might come along from over your head where you don't get to be fair anymore. Well, that's, that's your job, is you have to deal with that. But if there's anything that you want to do to be a better manager, to be a better leader, it is to be consistent in that. So if your rule is, I think I told you this. Um, yeah, I told you this a really long time ago. My uh, first uh, college girlfriend, uh, she uh, works for a foundation related to the UPS company. Do you remember this story? If you are one second late for a meeting at UPS, I don't know if this is still true, but if you're one second late for a meeting at UPS, you're fired on the spot. Are you serious? Period. Full stop. No questions. You knew that coming into this. It's like disobeying a direct order in the army. If I tells you to run up that hill and you don't run up that hill, you're gone and not in a good way. And so UPS, the entire culture of their company is based on doing things on time. So don't work there if you're troubled by that incredibly capricious attitude. You either get with that or, or you go somewhere else. Now, I don't know if that's true. Like so much of the lore of companies, I don't know if that's true. But I'm really attracted to a place that whatever that rule is, it's applied consistently. And so if that rule is we shuck and jive for 10 minutes before a meeting and then we have a really solid meeting at the 10-minute mark, I respect that. I mean, I love every decision that's made, but if it's applied consistently, if you don't see somebody getting away with something over and over, that builds the credibility. Does, doesn't it grind your gears when somebody from sales comes back from lunch whenever they feel like it while you're working late, getting in early, working late? Doesn't that drive you crazy? It, when well, you it, see- here's the thing. It used to, okay? It used to. But later as I transitioned into that sales role, I learned the other side of it, which is, you know, you, it, it's like you're, when you're in sales, generally, you're kind of like a, an airline pilot. Where your job is really, really drunk. No, where your job is really, really hard and really, really intense. And you use every single bit of your training and skills and experience for like 15 minutes. And then you get to chill out for a few hours and then you get to do really, really, you know, because that's what sales is usually like. It's like you work really, really, really hard. And it's not so much about the time necessarily as it is the intensity and the ability to bring together all those skills under pressure in the right situation that, that counts. And if you can go out there and do that and close, you know, a six figure deal, Mm -hmm. and then you want to go to lunch and take your time, like who cares? Because you're, you're doing this very, very important thing. But for the person who has to sit there eight, nine, 10 hours or more a day at a desk, when you see that, 
And then, oh, yeah, we're going to be going out to New York. Guys, you get your flight. Yeah, I upgraded to business class. And then you're like, right. Mm, you know, great. He gets to fly business class. I don't get to fly at all. I totally, I to- I totally get what you're saying. Um, and I, I, I totally agree with you. That is, that is correct. Ideally, especially in a large organization, I think that makes a lot more sense. I guess in my head now, I'm, I'm switching the rules and thinking a little bit of being in a small office. But, but okay, so to that point, though, somebody like me, some idiot self-involved person has that impression that there are people who there's a different set of rules for different people. You know, if you were my manager, how would you help me feel better or understand that? Or should you help me feel better about that? Cause it, you know, maybe you fire me, right? Cause maybe I should be paying more attention to my work than who went to lunch when. Right. But I think, but again, that consistency matters. Um, and I guess it depends a lot on the company. I just, I guess I just feel like, let's say you had a, I don't mean to, I guess I'm now trying to get you to agree with me, but I mean, if you had somebody who was constantly, one of your team members who was constantly late or was constantly parking in someplace they're not supposed to park or, or they did indeed leave early and come back late from lunch. Like if I were a manager of that group, as petty as that sounds, that pettiness matters. That pettiness is there. That, I mean, that, the pettiness of people who see that, it not only is frustrating to somebody who perceives themselves as working hard, it's frustrating in the sense that what is wrong with my boss like, are they, are they just going out for long, long lunches too and that doesn't matter? I guess I just feel like knowing what the rule is and following it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, and then in terms of being a leader versus being a boss, like following that even more for yourself than other people is what makes you a paladin. Like if you're, if you're the one who follows your own rule better, better than everybody else, I think that's how you lead. And, and I'll just be cynical and say that I, I'm, I've often in my mini career been dumbstruck by the people who have much higher and stricter expectations of other people or, or, or more opaque, maybe expectations of other people than they do of themselves. You know what I mean? Like they might just go to lunch and do whatever. That used to drive me crazy. I mean, to be honest, that was always a, like a, a pet peeve of mine. I was a very, believe it or not, I was a very driven person in, in previous jobs that I've had. I really, really, really tried to work hard and grow and learn things and work twice as hard as everybody else. I don't do that anymore. It's too much work. But, but back then, that did mean a lot to me. And it, it would really frustrate me that even though I was coming up with all of that on my own, it always frustrated me to feel like that wasn't what everybody else was doing. So I don't know what the answer to that is. Maybe, maybe the answer is somebody comes up and tells me to dial it down and quit being such a tool about it. But I don't know. I just, I just feel like sometimes there's a real dissonance. And you know, this in terms of practical stuff, I think this really goes for email. This really goes for communication in general. And, you know, look at any of the half dozen times on here. I've talked about going and visiting with a company where people want me to go fix all the employees. to like go in, you know, like I'm, you know, freaking walking on water and go and they touch the hem of my garment and suddenly get better at email. When it's the, the Can boss. Can I do that? You touch my garment. I want to so bad. <laughs> you may gently touch my hem. Mm. We should talk more about this. We're at the 130 mark here. So we should wrap it up. But, I don't know. I, I think this is, there's definitely a lot more to this than I realized when I, when I had a boss. In the same way that I now look back at teachers that I had, elementary school, junior high, high school, college, I look at these teachers that I had and I, I maybe appreciated at the time, mm-hmm. but I didn't really appreciate until their influence had time to settle in right. on me. Right, 15 years later, you still remember it. Yes. Or even more than still remember it. Like I finally have life land on my head and I go, oh, they were right. And they didn't beat it to death. They told me as much as they could tell me at the time. And I didn't have the ears to hear it or the brain to implement it. Yeah. And they were smart but, enough to know that too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's like wrestling a pig. I don't know. You'll talk like about that, this you next, don't wrestle all at once. Don't wrestle one at a time. Do you want to um, talk about this more next week? I would love that. 
Okay. What about homework for people? Is there a movie about bosses that they should watch besides Office Space? I think obviously Working Girl. Working Girl, yeah. <laughs> Office Space. Uh, nine to five. Nine to five. Uh, Ghostbusters. <laughs> um, <laughs> other, any other workplace comedies? Caddyshack. Caddyshack. Now, who's, who's the worker in that? The oh, caddies. Carl, Carl Spackler. Yeah. Cinderella's story, tears in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Cinderella boy. Yeah. Then you get no, to see, then you get the sales guy with Rodney Dangerfield running around. That's true. That's true. Uh, Al, Al Cervix. What mm-hmm. was his name? <laughs> Something like that. Al Cervix. Mm-hmm. <sighs> no button this up? Okay. Okay. I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man. 